0: I don't care if it's a liberal or conservative idea, if it's producing the results that, that were advertised at a, re, at, a, at a reasonable cost and it cannot be done better by the private sector, we keep it. If it's not, we get rid of it. That's what we do in business. That's what we do in every other area of life. But, uh, you know, again, Reagan used to say the only proof of eternal life in Washington is a government program. <laughs> a funny line, but full of truth. You know, it's easier to kill a vampire than a government program, and the analogy is good because both suck the economic lifeblood out of a country.
1: I'm Charles Mizrahi, and this is The Charles Mizrahi Show. My guest today is Cal Thomas. Cal is one of the most popular syndicated columnists in the country. His column appears in hundreds of newspapers, and he worked as a political commentator for Fox News for close to 20 years. His most recent book is America's Expiration Date. In it, he researches eight once-great empires and nations, starting with the Persian, Roman, and Byzantine empires and ending with the Russian Empire. What all these once-great empires have in common is they all lasted just 250 years. He outlines how superpowers rise and fall and asks, is America next? America's 250th year is right around the corner in 2026. His book is a wake-up call on where we are headed and how we can escape our fate. I recently sat down with Cal to talk about what these great empires had in common, what caused their downfall, and how America can survive, and not only survive, but thrive. Cal, thanks so much for joining me today. I greatly appreciate you being on the show. Well, thanks
0: for asking me, Charles. Great pleasure.
1: So, you're an institution in the conservative world, you are uh, you're like, you've been around a while. I don't want to say how old you are, but uh, you've ah, seen thank a lot you. you have a lot of gray hairs. You've seen a lot of the ships come in and go out, and you've been through a lot of administrations, and you've seen a lot of changes this country has gone through, uh, from McCarthyism to present day, I guess civil war. i don't I don't know what better to call it. when half the country's going, one way, half the country's going another. And that's why, I'm a little troubled. You wrote this book, uh, America's, America's Expiration Date, and you subtitled it, The Fall of Empires and Superpowers and the Future of the United States. Now, before we dive into the book, let me just tell everyone who's listening, you're a pretty optimistic guy. You believe greatly in this country. You love this country. You have always stood for the values this country has fostered and perpetuated. And you have come out with a book that puts America's expiration date like on, like on a container of milk to, I believe, the year uh, 20, 20, six, six, 2026. So, Cal, without making me so depressed, will history <laughs> repeat itself at America fail? Tell me, before what's in this book, what motivated you to write this book?
0: Well, first of all, Charles, thanks for calling me an institution. I'd rather be an institution than in an institution, Mm -hmm. which some of my uh, detractors uh, (laughs) wish would occur. Uh, I don't uh, style myself as an Old Testament prophet, but I do look at some of these uh, people from the Old Testament who warned the ancient Israelites of the directions in which they were headed and how, if they continued on that path, it could lead to their personal and national destruction. Uh, Ronald Reagan used to say we're only one generation from losing all of the liberties uh, and wonderful things that we have about America. These values and virtues are not caught like a virus or a cold or the flu. They have to be renewed in every generation in order to be transferred to the next generation. And my fear is that I I looked at this, and the the inspiration for this book was uh, an essay by the late uh, British diplomat, uh, Sir John Glubb, who found uh, in studying over 3,000 years of human history that there was a pattern to nations that decline. And my contention is that we are following that pattern at the moment. Uh, Just a few of the examples include massive national debt. We're $27 trillion in debt, highest ever. Uh, Biden says he wants to spend even more and tax even more. Uh, Uncontrolled immigration without assimilation is another characteristic of empires that have declined in the past. Biden wants open borders and the immediate uh, citizenship granted to 11 million undocumented workers who are here illegally. A loss of a shared moral sense. Who, Who says anymore that there is objective truth, that there is a right or a wrong for human behavior or human relationships? So I'm contending that these and other factors are extant now in America. And that if we don't turn this around quickly, there's no guarantee we will not suffer the same fate as these other empires and nations I write about.
1: So you wrote this book. It came out at the beginning of the year. Paperback just came out in September time. Uh, Look on Amazon. It got you have a lot of, I think it was 400 plus uh, five star ratings. So a lot of people are resonating to this. When did you put pen to paper and say, I have to write this book? How many years ago? (laughs)
0: Well, oh, I think about two two and a half years ago, uh, it, it was it had nothing to do with who was in the White House, and I think I would have written it uh, if a Democrat had been in the White House the last four years. Uh, I love history. I, I'm not a expert. I certainly don't have a master's degree or history or a uh, Ph.D. in history, but I read a lot of history. Uh, David McCullough, for example, one of my favorite historians. I'm, I've decided to reread Carl Sandberg's magnificent four volume work on Abraham Lincoln, The War Years. And one of the things that, uh, well, I would say amuses me, but uh, caught my attention, was that there's nothing really changing. I mean, you can change modes of transportation, you can change clothes, you can change lifestyles, but one thing you can't change is human nature. And if we think the media are bad today, and they are, they were as bad or worse in Lincoln's times. Rivalries, uh, uh, political positioning and posturing, all of these things, around in lincoln's time so but i I think every generation has to be warned of this sort of thing and uh you know we we warn children to look both ways before you cross the street um you know and other you know exercise and do other things and it's important i think when when you see a nation you love as you say i do and i do love this nation uh and my my father was in world war ii along with all his brothers i'm wondering if most of them would, would have gone if they knew what kind of country uh, we would become uh, 70 years later? So uh, I think it's good to warn. I'm, you know, again, I'm not a prophet or the son of one, but I do see these uh, these characteristics now in our country, and I think it's important to um, to give a warning sign. You know, Isaiah, the prophet, talked a lot about this, about uh, standing on the wall and uh, and warning uh, when uh, when adversaries were coming to attack, and so that's what I'm trying to do with this book.
1: So. Jeremiah also did the same and stood at the temple yeah. and called these people, you know, thieves. And what are you doing, giving sacrifices? And he lived a yep. very terrible life. <laughs> I just want <laughs> Jeremiah's my kind of guy. He was,
0: I'd say, he was a big time butt kicker. He was know, all right.
1: <laughs> yeah, he ended up almost killed, and the king threw him in a jail. But uh, so to be the Jeremiah is tough. And you're basically telling me here that when you pen this book, and I'm sure it pains you, I'm sure it pains you. Right, yes, right. it, it does. I mean, uh, uh, it,
0: it, just as it would pain a doctor to tell someone they have a terminal disease, uh, of course it does. I mean, I, I would, I would love to see this nation continuing on the path of uh, prosperity and morality and uh, and and a, a real education. Uh, one of the people asked me, well, where's the hope? I said, well, I think we have to ca- we have to capture the next generation. And by that, I mean, we have to get our children and grandchildren out of what I call these re-education camps, public schools and universities, that undermine uh, our values and morals, that uh, reteach history in their own image, that don't believe in the Constitution or the rule of, lo- rule of law, that impose their own worldview on, on kids. And that, along with the peer pressure and social media, I think is ruining the next generation and that's why reagan said you know 40 years ago we're only one generation away from losing it all
1: you know i don't know if i read it in your book or listened to something you spoke when you spoke at the um heritage foundation you wrote we wouldn't send soldiers to be trained in the enemy camp yeah. you get so are you, are you equating now that what we have really are re-education centers our university our school system is are teaching our children a total life that's alien to the american values
0: well absolutely and and this is not my opinion this is this is observable fact if people would ap- uh, do the research if they would learn what is being taught in these schools if they're, well it wasn't that way when i was in school no it may not have been but it is now and of course people come up with all of these rationalizations well they have a good football program or they have a good basketball program or they have uh, this or that or whatever yeah but. But you know, I like something Barbara Bush said, and I, I don't know if I mentioned it in this book or not, but she said, uh, our success as a nation, your success as a family, depends less on what happens in the White House and more on what happens in your house. And that is so true. And the reason I use the military analogy about we don't send our troops to enemy countries to be trained is that because we are sending our children and grandchildren into these schools, into these universities, that teach values, ideas, and history that are counter to everything that uh, most Americans believe in. And I think they would be shocked if they found out and they should find out. It's not difficult, that's why we have an internet, to find out what is being taught in these places and the incredible amounts of money that uh, they're being charged in tuition uh, in order to uh, send their kids there. Now, I'm a big school choice guy and I'm glad the Supreme Court recently ruled in favor of, uh, of, school, of school choice. And uh, you know it's funny that my liberal friends are all for choice when it comes to abortion, but are against choice when it comes to education mm-hmm. for those fortunate enough to be born. So how can you have choice in one thing and no choice in the other? Yeah. Education is the last monopoly in this country. So where do
1: we go off the rails? When did you see that happening? When, when, if, let, me, let me preface that by saying this. When no. you were a youngster, uh, you grew okay. up, you said the Pledge of Allegiance in school, yeah. Uh, you had Washington's birthday, not this President Day, which we, which means nothing to anybody. There was Lincoln's birthday, right. there was Washington's birthday. I remember, and I'm a lot younger than you, uh, having uh, celebrations in the auditorium with the flag carrying it. We did poems and we did a whole thing of Washington. Okay. We learned about the president. We learned about Lincoln. It wasn't this mishmash of President's Day, which is a weekend. Memorial Day was taken seriously. We used to write letters. This is back in Vietnam where... To soldiers who were captive and taken PLW. so there was more of a connection. Your time in the shadow of World War II—a whole di- a di- a different world. It was a different world. You had the 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 the, the Red Scare. Uh, Americans were were more—I wouldn't say more patriotic—but there was more. they were more cognizant of what freedoms we had. Where did we go off the rails? That a guy like you, who has seen so much is basically telling me, Charles, we don't have schools, we have re-education centers.
0: Well, I think uh, while prosperity is a wonderful thing, it can also uh, uh, be harmful. As CS Lewis said, prosperity knits a, a person to this world. He thinks he's finding his place in the world, but all the while the world is finding its place in him. I was brought up with three primary values, inspiration, followed by motivation, followed by perspiration, improves any life. But we have flipped that now, mostly because of the 60s and 70s, me, first generations, into envy, greed, and entitlement. And what is being taught and underscored by our corrupt media, that I am ashamed to be a part of in in many ways, is that the notion of income inequality. I wrote a column a couple of years ago saying that I had a deep, dark secret that I felt the need to confess Uh, that I suffer from income inequality. Yes, it's true, there are other people who make more money than me. But you know what, I don't care. As long as I have the opportunity, consistent with my skills and ability to work hard, uh, to make a living that supports myself and my family, I don't care if you're making twice as much or more than me. But the attitude today is, if you make $2 and I make $1, you owe me 50 cents to make it fair. That's socialism by any other name. This is a land of opportunity, not guaranteed outcome. And uh, what we are seeing in our country uh, through identity politics and racial preferences and imposed guilt for slavery that none of us had anything to do with uh, is a complete shift in our moral fiber and foundations. And if we continue on this path, it is going to be more self-destructive. Lincoln and many others have said, that if the United States is ever to fail, it will not be, cut, be because we have been invaded by a foreign power. It will be because we have destroyed ourselves from within. I think nothing could be, uh, nothing could be more true than that. Can, can we say also that uh, during the
1: Civil War, for example, we were more divided. Which I did not cover, by the way. All right. <laughs> we, we, we had brother against brother. We had the nation yeah. split. We had uh, a president who was considered the big guerrilla. He was demonized, eventually assassinated. Such hate. Uh, our country at it was only 100-some-odd years old, a little less than 100 years old, right? Four score and seven years ago. So our country was at a point where if Lincoln didn't do what he did, we'd have different states in the United States. There'd be no more United States. Didn't one say that we've.
0: those times were much worse than
1: what we have here?
0: Well, you know, you, you can't, uh, as one person said to me once, you can't baptize the past. You can't take today's uh, uh, situations and impose it uh, on another era. Uh, and again, you know, human nature doesn't change. You can wear a toga or a suit or a t shirt or whatever, but the, the, the human heart is, uh, you mentioned Jeremiah earlier, is desperately wicked. Uh, who can know it? Uh, it's a pretty good line. Now, people have to be controlled so they won't seek their lowest uh, nature. And if they're not controlled by God, then they have to be controlled by the state from without acting under God in order to promote the general welfare. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, obviously uh, a civil war with brother shooting brother is a horrible thing, but we've got a civil ideological and moral war going on right now in America. And it's uh, it, it's not with guns, but we are, we are separating each other and not talking to each other anymore. We're we're all parts of groups. We're in racial groups and gender groups. We're in ideological groups. And if you think independently of that group, then you are not sufficiently black, as Joe Biden said uh, about any black person who uh, voted for Trump. That's the kind of groupthink that is Orwellian. The, The notion of the individual and personal responsibility and accountability has virtually evaporated from the country and you know if i were to be dropped into this nation right now with any knowledge without any knowledge of the f- past 50 years i would think i was in a foreign country because nothing that i grew up with nothing my parents taught me i mean i didn't know anybody who came from what we called a broken home then now uh, the people who stayed married stay married for decades are the freaks and shacking up uh, or alternative lifestyles things that would have been uh, shameful when I was growing up are now accepted as normal. And this is part of the, uh, you know, moral and cultural and spiritual decline that is uh, attached to nations and superpowers that have declined in the past. So,
1: great great, great point. And, and I'm gonna ask you, I think you answered it already, but I'm gonna ask you in a different way. You see the moral decline of this nation happening in the 60s and 70s where we take God out of this country, out of society out of the Pledge of Allegiance, out of everything, where we can't even put up the Ten Commandments in courtrooms and any sign of public uh, of religious expression is suppressed and and not not only suppressed, but is considered uh, against the law.
0: Yeah, I, I think you have to get up in the morning and, and go to your job and, uh, and make a living, uh, but you need a higher purpose for life. I mean, if you're just going to work to make money, to pay bills, to buy stuff, and at the end of your life, uh, you know, put it in your will and have it in an estate sale, uh, then there's not a whole a lot of purpose in living. Uh, most people realize that, uh, you know, as Peggy Lee sang years ago, dating myself, is that all there is? Is that all there is to life? If that's all there is, let's break out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. So you have to have a reason for uh, living. There was a, one of my favorite old time musicals called Carnival had a song in it. Uh, You've got to find a reason for living on this earth. You've got to find a reason for breathing the air I breathe, uh, taking the space I take. There's more to me. There's more to this something in me that needs to do more than suck the breath of life as moths and leaves and weeds do. Holding up my head, holding down a place being worth a name to go with my face. I've got to find a reason for living on this earth. Something to want, something to be, somehow to say, I am me. And this is the longing of every human heart. And if you only find it in government and politics, if you only find it in money and possessions, all of these things will go away. You've got to have a higher purpose for living. And thanks for allowing me to quote from one of my favorite musicals. Yeah, no,
1: I I, I was hoping you would sing it. But, uh, you know, so, so, so now that we're here, now that we're here, and I want to tell you, in your book, and what I really respect about this, I don't agree with everything, but what I do respect about what you wrote in this book, you said, I'm not a historian, I'm a journalist. So you weren't looking at this from a historical perspective with having all the, the background of being a historian. And by the way, you mentioned David McCullough. David McCullough wasn't trained as a historian either, and he's a great historian. <laughs> so you said you're a journalist, and you went through, I believe, it's seven different uh, periods of time, seven empires. And uh, we're, we're the eighth superpower that's that's falling into this decay. So my question to you is this, Cal. If you could wave a magic wand and turn this back
0: right now, what's the one thing you would do? Well, first of all, I don't have it. And I know human being has it in their power to do this. I, I think, um, you know, again, I'm going back to Lincoln. Uh, he issued a proclamation For a day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And I I think that uh, this is, you know, this is what we need to do. I mean, uh, he, he said, we have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the hand that graciously preserved us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all of these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom of our own, intoxicated with unbroken success, we become too proud to feel the need of redeeming grace, too proud to pray to the God who made us. It behooves us then, he said, to humble, there's a word you don't hear often, humble ourselves before the offended power and to pray for national clemency and forgiveness. In the three revivals that have touched America, spiritual revivals, the result was reduction in crime, reduction in alcoholism, spousal abuse, all these other things that some people try to cure through government. Now, if politicians can't impose morality on themselves, how are they gonna be able to impose it on the rest of us? So our primary problems in this country and in every other empire I write about are not economic and political, they're moral and spiritual and must be addressed on that level.
1: You know, a few some time ago, I had Dennis Prager on the show. Oh, uh, great, man. And Yeah, Dennis said since he was in high school till now, nothing much has changed. And over the past 60 years, he's always believed that if we had the Ten Commandments were prominently displayed in classrooms and people following it and understanding it, we would have a much better society, a much better people, more morality, and, and a lot of the problems we have today wouldn't be problems.
0: Well, we, we now embrace multiculturalism in which all ideas are to be accepted, all faiths are to be accepted, there is no right or wrong, there is no objective truth. Uh, If you think you have a corner on truth and you're a bigot, you're a racist, you're a religious fanatic, uh, we don't even discuss the subject anymore. You know, the old line about two things you shouldn't talk about at the dinner table, religion and politics. Well, I mean, what else, the weather? I mean, come on, these are the two of the most important subjects of our time. And it's not about disliking or hating somebody else. It's about having a conversation. How did you come to your point of view? Are you sure you're correct? Why do you think you are? Do the policies you advocate work? I wrote a previous book called What Works. And my point in that book was, look, I don't care if it's a liberal or conservative idea. If it's producing the results, that uh, that were advertised at a, re- at a at a reasonable cost and it cannot be done better by the private sector, we keep it. If it's not, we get rid of it. That's what we do in business. That's what we do in every other area of life. But uh, you know, again, Reagan used to say, "The only proof of eternal life in Washington is a government program." <laughs> a funny line, but full of truth. You know, it's easier to kill a vampire than a government program, and the analogy is good because both suck the economic lifeblood out of a country.
1: So. So here we are, right? We're at 2020, uh, about to go into 2021. Uh, uncertainty, the country is divided probably more than it has been in a long while. I don't even put a time limit when when it was as divided as this, because I'm going to definitely be wrong, and someone will tell me, no, it's more divided this time. But we're we're pretty split. We're pretty split. Do you see the average American pretty split uh, in terms of either, either a or B, conservative or liberal or progressive or leftist? Or is this just a lot of noise we're seeing from the, the from California and from New York and the rest of the country seems to get it right?
0: Well, here's the thing, Charles. So you can't get into physical shape by watching an exercise video. You have to go to the gym and work it out. And you can't uh, create a country that's in good political and economic shape unless you take the time to investigate and study issues. Democracy, a constitutional republic like we are, are not the natural state of uh, nation states around the world. Most of those other countries are into uh, dictatorship, uh, religious fundamentalism, uh, discrimination against people who don't toe the line, whatever the line is, uh, no press freedom, no freedom of speech, no freedom of assembly, carrying identity cards, we are no freedom no
1: freedom for women as well, fifty. Well yes, population. suppression of
0: women, absolutely. Yep. Uh, but we are an oasis in this vast desert around the world with lots of people who want to turn us into sand. It's not just the Iranians, uh, the, the primary funder of terrorism around the world that uh, now the uh, climate czar incoming John Kerry negotiated such a rotten deal with. And uh, you know, thank God for Israel and Trump's uh, uh, support of the Jewish state in the last four years. Or God knows what that state would be like today. Uh, but we have to, again, renew these values, and we have to, we have to study the issues, and we have to determine what has worked. Why would the tax cuts, for example, and the reduction in regulations in the last four years that produced the biggest economic boom in the history of our country across all demographic lines, African American, uh, Hispanic, Asian, all of them, why would a return of those policies Uh, be wrong if they didn't work before and these policies are working. People have to start thinking like that and they have to do their own investigations before they vote and not vote based on feelings. Look, I don't like Trump's personality either, but if I have to make a choice between a lousy personality and great policies, Mm. I'm going with the policies.
1: Right. And and six million people or so off of food stamps during this time period as well. Now more self-sufficient, living with dignity. And yeah. you know, I want to I want to touch on what what you brought up with uh, with Iran. Explain to me, because you're a man with much more wisdom and age than I. Oh. And I'm, just, I'm just trying to understand this. Uh, two years ago, Prime Minister of Israel Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel capt- did the most amazing intelligence uh, uh, coup ever. Captured a whole storehouse of information and displayed it to the world, and showed the abundance of of. Material that Iran is working towards a nuclear bomb and not mm-hmm. nuclear energy. Uh, name the people who was just assassinated, the, um, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, who was just, uh, starts with an F. Who was just. Oh, Soleimani. No, not Soleimani, the uh, head of nuclear, um, the head of the. Oh, nuclear on, the program. scientist, yeah. 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 All right, we'll get to him in a second. Totally destroyed. <laughs> totally... Why? And, and, and for the last, since this was out in 2018, Everyone knows, Everyone, the, the facts are there, that Iran was playing a shell game. They had no intention of ever stopping their, their nuclear program for destruction. They are the only member nation calling for the destruction, the obliteration of another member of a nation, Israel. No other mm-hmm. nation has done that even close, even though they share no border with them, no border and they pose no threat to them. Yet, we have an administration that's coming in that wants to go back to a failed deal. Could you just give me some insight as to why, why they would want to go back to that?
0: Well, I think, uh, Charles, at least three reasons. And the most obvious, I would say, is anti-Semitism. And that's different from, you know, throwing a racism label at everybody. But there has been, throughout the generations, an a underlying strain of anti-Semitism and hatred the Jewish people. Number two, I would say, uh, biblical illiteracy. illiteracy. The the uh, the terrorists and the Muslim fanatics are not hiding what their objectives are. I read, and I'm sure you do, through memory and through other uh, websites, the sermons from some of these pulpits of the Middle East. Uh, Jews are responsible for AIDS, Jews are responsible for everything that's bad in the world, Jews must be exterminated, Allah has uh, ordered us to exterminate Jews and the Christians after that, and uh, impose Sharia law. They say this openly. It's not breaking news, it's not a military secret. But you have a lot of biblically illiterate people in our country, and indeed around the world, but especially in America. I'll tell you a quick story. I did an exit interview with Condoleezza Rice when she was Secretary of State, and I brought up some of these things. I said, Condi, you know, uh, Madam Secretary, pardon me, you're a, uh, you know, you're a Christian woman, you are open about your faith, you read the scriptures, uh, and and you see these statements that are being made against Jews and Christians and even fellow Muslims who don't agree with the, with the fanatics. And basically her answer, well, you know, that's what they say uh, to their people. Well, <laughs> they say that to the world. They say it to the world. Arafat said one thing to the world and another thing to his people. So I think those two things. Uh, and then the third thing is that the essence of liberalism, which is behind a lot of this, is about intent and feelings, not results. So my good friend, Bob Beckel, with whom I had written a, a column for USA Today for 10 years uh, called Common Ground, and a book by the same name, admitted to me once, and actually admitted it in public, that uh, the welfare state was wrong, and the Democrats should not have done that because it addicted too many people to government and uh, you know alleviated personal responsibility and accountability but you see our intentions were good he said yeah well the road to hell's paved with good intentions and with the left they want to install a toll booth so so
1: where where do we go with this where do they do they really feel that well what gain what benefit do they get the left uh does the left get liberalism get by rolling mm-hmm. back the clock to the 2015 Iran deal, what, what, well, part- how, what's, how, is there, how is there a net positive to anyone other than the Iranians?
0: There isn't. I don't see any positive coming out of this at all, certainly not for Israel, certainly not for the United States. Why would you return to a failed policy? Because they want to return to the establishment. Trump challenged the establishment like nobody else. And even that's why Republicans, many Republicans hated him, because they like the warm fuzzies of a nice column or an editorial in the Washington Post or New York Times saying how broad-minded you are. I remember when Reagan was elected in 1980, the Washington Post that had denounced him almost every day, uh, the lead editorial was, well, now Mr. Reagan needs to realize he's president of all the people. And by that, uh, they mean give up your policies and do what the Democrats want, and we will praise you. You see the same thing with uh, uh, now, you know, uh, Biden promising to bring us together. I wrote a column about this. What does that mean? How can you bring together somebody who is for federal funding of abortion at any stage in life, uh, embracing the entire LGBTQ plus agenda, wanting to raise taxes, reimpose regulations, uh, reestablish uh, the Paris Climate Accord, which was a joke, and reestablish uh, the uh, Iranian nuclear deal. How is that gonna bring us together? I said, tell me one thing that your side is willing to come over to my side on, or at least meet me halfway. They never do, because they don't really mean it. And this is the lesson that Republicans and conservatives must learn. And Trump showed them this that the only reason to attain power is to use it, not to get approval from the establishment or the major media. And you use it not to accrue power to yourself, but in order, in the great words of one of our founding documents, to promote the general welfare, provide for the common defense, and ensure domestic tranquility. We sure haven't seen domestic tranquility this summer with all these riots and defund the police business going on, supported by left wing outfits like George Soros, Black Lives Matter and others.
1: So so, paint the picture for me for where you see us going in the next four years.
0: Well, I'm not, again, I'm not a prophet or the no, son no, of no. I know, I know that you,
1: you, you've definitely but, given the disclaimers, but no, Jeremiah, well, okay. I wanna hear what you have to say. <laughs>
0: Well, it's like, uh, you know, again, I go back to Reagan because it was such a turning point in history. Uh, uh, you remember how the left denounced him for putting Pershing missiles in uh, Europe to challenge the Soviet Union that was building up Star Wars, they derisively called it the uh, missile defense system. But tell, even, Schindler- he tell,
1: even before that, he was calling for the Soviet Union, is calling it the evil empire. And academics at the time said, how could you say that? It's an alternative government. How could you say yeah. something like that? Yeah. And he crossed out yeah. several
0: times, evil empire, no, putting that in, evil empire goes in the speech. That's exactly right. And, and I think clarity is very important when you're discussing uh, issues, not just name calling, but effective labeling. And Reagan was right. And certainly the mullahs in Iran are an evil empire as well. Look how they put down uh, uh, dissent Look how they uh, rig elections. You talk about rig- rigged elections, look what happens over there. Uh, and and uh, look, we, we have to start with our own families. We have to start small. And the big picture then will take care of itself. But again, we gotta get our kids into the right schools, uh, conservative, religious schools, that provide a foundation to their intellectual and moral life that teach the real history of the United States. You know, Rush Limbaugh talks about his uh, children's book series, Rush Revere. And he says, adults will call in after they get these books for their kids and said, I never learned these things in school. And he say, exactly, exactly. Why would you be a progressive side to raise your kids intellectually and morally uh, Then you are uh, forfeiting your obligation as a parent?
1: Yeah, you know that that brings us uh, to to the ruling over Thanksgiving that I wanted. Mm. I want your insight on because uh, you wrote a piece on it uh, in all caps. I might add on your site uh, calthomas.com, dot com, which uh, victory for religious freedom. And I'm mm. I'm telling you, I was personally impacted by this in a major way, living in New York, where mm. just some background. Governor Cuomo figured out I don't know how he came up with this number. But 10 people in a religious institution, even though it could hold up to 1,000 people, cannot stand during COVID. You can't have more than 10 people. Even if the room could hold 1,000 people, you could only have 10. So over Thanksgiving, 5-4 ruling, Supreme Court blocked New York from imposing strict limits on attendance at religious services. So here we had a situation where the governor, and my wife keeps asking me, does the governor have this type of power? And apparently... Our rights, our individual rights, are really held
0: by a thread when it comes down to it. Agree? Well, that's right. And uh, thank, thank you for mentioning the columnist. I said I'm, I'm grateful for the ruling, five to four. Uh, uh, you know, Cuomo's uh, ruling was completely arbitrary. He created a number out of whole cloth. There was there were no mandates for all the demonstrators in the streets to wear masks or 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 practice social distancing. Wait, wait. And it's, uh, now, let
1: me interrupt you uh, a second. I want I want to read the ruling that you quoted here because it's just fascinating. Okay. So religious institutions could have gatherings. This was brought by the Orthodox Jews, the Aguda of Israel, as well as the Roman Catholics of the Archdiocese of New York. Challenging, went up to the Supreme Court. And I found this so amazing. You quote this, and this was great. Essential services, businesses, state. Uh, the court found it troubling that businesses the state considered essential were not subject to the same occupancy limits. Those included, and this was right what the Supreme Court wrote, we are not subject to the same occupancy limits. Those included things such as acupuncture facilities, campgrounds, garages, as well as many whose services are not limited to those that can be regarded essential, such as plants, manufactured chemicals, and microelectronics, and all transportation facilities. But religious institutions, no go.
0: <laughs> well, that gets back to what we talked about earlier. You know, the government sees itself as God, it hands down these. These great directives from the uh, political equivalent of Mount Sinai, Washington D.C., and you are expected to accept them. Uh, I think you know. I think we need an- another revolution in this country, and I'm not talking about guns and. You know, killing politicians, but I'm I'm talking about individual liberty because every time a liberty is lost, it's almost impossible to regain. Sort of like virginity; you can't get it back once you've given it up. And uh, you know, this this whole business that somehow religious institutions should be singled out as uh, for special penalties is outrageous and would have offended the founding fathers. As I said in my piece, while I'm grateful for the five to four ruling, I'm disturbed that it was five to four. That means. What were the other four uh, thinking? What were the other well, four thinking? Well, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you know, they're they're. I, I don't know about their own religious faith, but but clearly they are uh, thinking that here is a governor who forced elderly people into nursing homes where they died of COVID. Somehow, has some kind of unique divine insight into what's best for everybody else. And one of the reasons uh, that people increasingly distrust our leaders is because they are complete hypocrites. You look at Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, went to California. Uh, went to Hawaii for a, for a meeting. A picture of him around the table, no mask, no social distancing. The mayor of uh, uh, the, the governor of Colorado goes to Mississippi to visit his daughter and grandchild or whatever. And you've got other people doing this. And governor then governor Murphy,
1: Governor Murphy, eating yes, that with his family Murphy of, of, of Jersey. Jersey. And then yes. you had, when essential travel, any travel, the mayor told us in New York City, uh, de Blasio, do not travel if it's unnecessary, was coming yeah. to his Brooklyn home to walk around Prospect Park, and he was telling people, don't travel anywhere. Here, we yeah. couldn't get out of our homes, and this guy's taking his nature walk.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, th- this bothers me. I mean, when you, when you give authority to the government, when, uh, uh, when you make them supreme then you're into a, an Orwellian situation where Big Brother and new speak and new think are the rage, and what you think is uh, is is to be suppressed. And again, liberty once lost is hard to restore. And and I, I just you know I worry about this five to four vote and these other justices. I'm I'm so glad that Trump pushed through Amy Coney Barrett or uh, you know, it would have been four to four and uh, the lower courts would have prevailed and so would Cuomo, who is a disaster, along with de Blasio. I mean, New York City used to be a fantastic place. Everything's closed. Broadway, uh, you know, they say, okay, well, you can have 25%. No restaurant can operate on 25% capacity. They can't even pay, pay their employees on 25% capacity. But all this stuff is arbitrary. And, and they, they get to eat, and they get all the services that they want. They just don't want you to have
1: them. What troubles me, and what really sent a shiver down my spine, was New York's restrictions, quote, that, they, that the ruling was, strike at the very heart of the First Amendment's guarantee of religious liberty. So I have seen in my lifetime, and your lifetime as well, and the lifetime of my children, the First Amendment really under attack. And we lived it physically in New York for several weeks. How can
0: this stand? Well, if you don't have a First Amendment, it's very difficult to have the other nine. And uh, the freedom of speech, the freedom to worship or not, as your conscience dictates, the freedom of association, and the freedom of the press. Now, the press at the time this was written were not exactly complementary to people like Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and the rest. But the founders understood that the press was to be a check on the government. And throughout history, the, the press has displayed some outrageous behavior, including during the Lincoln administration. But uh, the notion of a free press to hold the powerful accountable, in my view, is being corrupted today as the press increasingly becomes an arm of the secular progressives and the Democrat Party. Just one of many examples. Here is Biden who came out and announced an all-female communication staff. Trump has an all-female communication staff, but that was totally ignored. Uh, And and here is is, uh, Biden over the weekend, fracturing his foot while, quote, playing with his dog. Now, if you know that, if that had been a Republican, especially an older Republican or Trump, the press would be saying, He's incapacitated, he's unfit for office, he can't stand upright. But Biden they give a pass to. It's always that way. And it, it, it really is shameful. And I, I'm in, I'm embarrassed for them. You look at the New York Times, Washington Post, front page, every every story anti-Trump, every editorial anti-Trump, anti-conservative, well, anti-religion. Even push
1: push all that aside, before the before the election, Hunter Biden, nothing. Yeah. No, no. Nothing. And still nothing. And the New York Post. Uh, the New York Post uh, uh, was uh, Twitter threw them off. It, it's it, this is suppression of of the press. This is this fact couldn't even no. get out there. This was pretty corroborated by many sources. As yeah. we have four years of this witch hunt for uh, Russian influence and and
0: manipulation <laughs> yeah. of our election was just a, a zero. Yeah. Well, as a friend of mine says, uh, the greatest power of the media is the power to ignore the power to suppress, the power not to tell the truth, the power not to investigate when people who share a different political worldview are behaving in a nefarious and even illegal way. And so this is why I'm grateful for shows like yours, for publications that uh, don't toe the line. But you've got to, again, you've got to work at it. You've got to search for the right material, not just things you agree with to reaffirm what you already believe, but objective truth. That's why I love the Heritage Foundation and uh, American Enterprise Institute, and some of their think tanks and papers that really get to the heart of economic and political truth and history. But you've got to get it for yourself. You've got to dig it out. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't come to your doorstep like, uh, like Amazon. Uh, and uh, and you, you gotta you gotta you gotta look out for it for yourself.
1: Well, last thought, America's expiration date. How can we how can we put this on hold? Let me just sum it up for me.
0: Okay. Well, again, I think it's uh, you know there's a wonderful verse in the uh, in the New Testament in the book of Romans chapter eight, which says God has built futility into His creation in hope that the creation will turn to Him. During my lifetime, we've tried everything—right, left, blue ribbon commissions, uh, white papers. Uh, now we're going to cure systemic racism, uh, all these other things. Uh, but as Lincoln said, we've forgotten God. So that's one thing. You know, uh, when uh, the chairman of Tiffany some years ago—I uh, think it was back in the '70s—created this little sterling silver lapel pin, just said, "Try God." You know, you tried everything else. Why don't you try Him? So that's on the spiritual level. Secondly, I'd uh, reinforce what I said earlier about education. We've got to get our kids out of these failing government schools. You know, here are the Democrats who uh, are doing a reverse of George Wallace, who stood in the schoolhouse door in the 60s to keep African Americans out. Now the left is standing in the schoolhouse door to keep them trapped in Mm -hmm. and keep them addicted to the Democrat Party. I mean, let my people go, let them out, let them get a real education, which is the foundation to success. So those two things, I think, are the only thing that's gonna turn things around, and if not, we are going to go the way of every other nation and nothing is going to stop it. Pal,
1: well, you, you know, God bless you, you should keep this fire going for the next 50 years. Uh, you're amazing, you, you, you call it as you see him, this book, Americans, Expiration Date, Definitely get it. Agree, disagree with it. At least it'll start you thinking. Cal, where can readers, when my listeners hear about, uh, re- read more about what you're writing every day?
0: Well, I'm in about 300 newspapers around the country, and uh, if I'm not in yours, uh, contact the editor and ask them to carry me. Otherwise, they can go to my website, calthomas.com, and uh, help uh, cure their insomnia by reading all of my columns and, and uh, radio transcripts. No,
1: I don't think <laughs> I don't think anything insomnia. If anything, it'll get your blood boiling because you are. Uh, you, you speak from the heart and you don't have an axe to grind here. You basically well, thank you you, care deeply about this country and, um, and you, you see where it's going and, and it's troubling. So, so uh, I, I just like that you're a pragmatic thinker. You're not looking for any quick solutions. You're looking for a solution that works for everybody. And I think that's... Well, I'd like, I'd like to pass
0: on to my children and grandchildren what was passed on to me by my grandparents and parents uh, who went through a Great Depression and a world war and who survived, and they survived because of the very values and virtues that are being torn apart in the country right now. And if you don't have those in place, then what do you have?
1: Yep, yep. The amazing Cal Thomas. Uh Cal, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you, you being on the show, and I wish you many, many more years of success, and keep fighting the good fight, brother. You're doing fantastic. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Cal. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on The Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.